Hi, and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum. I'm one of your hosts, Glenn McKay, and I'm joined by Eagle Forum's DC directors, Tabitha Walter. Hi. And Kirsten Hasler. Hey, everyone. We hope everyone enjoyed a great Mother's Day. There's no such thing as just a mom, just as there's no such thing as just a woman. So whether you're called to traditional motherhood or not, um, we believe all women were created to nurture, and we believe there is no greater, more fulfilling work than motherhood. To raise up and equip new generations, to give our focus, time, and attention to someone who needs it, to be a, a champion or a cheerleader in someone's life, encouraging growth and development in someone else is one of life's greatest gifts. This belief was part of the reason Eagle Forum was formed in the 1970s as a conservative pro-family organization. While the women's liberation movement espoused that solely focusing on motherhood was demeaning to women, Eagle Forum's founder, Phyllis Schlafly, claimed that mothers perform the most socially necessary role in our society and that the future of America depends on the next generation beginning morally, psychologically, intellectually, and physically strong. We don't find motherhood to be trivial or secondary it's essential to a thriving and stable society. That's exactly right. And though many women mother biological children, there are hosts of women who mother without ever giving birth to a child. I know I personally am eternally grateful, not only for my own wonderful mother, but for a host of other women who played vital mothering roles in my life that shaped me into who I am today. So this episode is a celebration of anyone who is mothering, who has mothered, or who wants to mother. Happy Mother's Day. While we don't know where you find yourself, we wanna share with you a few different stories, perspectives, and wisdom from three women who have found themselves mothering in different ways and along different paths throughout their lives. Today, we welcome Colleen Holcomb, Uni Smith, and Emily Midget. Colleen is a board member and former executive director of Eagle Forum. Uni is the current president of Eagle Forum and was founding member of the organization. Emily is the executive vice president of the Susan B. Anthony List, an organization that elects pro-life candidates and advances pro-life policy. So each of your stories are unique and inspiring in their own way. So we want to spend a little time introducing you to our listeners, Uni. You are a mother and a grandmother now, but you were once a young woman who left a promising career in commu computer programming to get married and to have children. Tell us more about your story and give us insight into the decisions that you made. Oh, well, I'm happy to do that. And I appreciate you young ladies, young mothers for uh, putting this together. I love your intro, loved your intro. Really, you've said it all. Um, I. Um, I was thinking back on my my time before um, marriage and motherhood, and uh, I went to a high school, um, which was all girls, and uh, then went to Vanderbilt and was in a major, which was practically all boys. There were five of us females in it, economics, <clears throat> excuse me, business administration, and then um, I took a job in Chattanooga with a life insurance company. If y'all saw the movie Hidden Figures, it's one of my favorites. Well, I programmed those fancy, those huge computers, uh, wow. just like were used for the astronauts. And it was interesting, it, it, it was fun. But what I really wanted was to have the kind of um, family life that I was blessed to grow up with, to have a, um, 
a husband who would love me and whom I could love and respect and, and uh, with whom, you know, we could have a family. And so I was blessed to uh, have met my husband, my um, high school roommate, no, high school college roommate, actually. High school roommate was there too, and my college roommate introduced me on a blind date. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's another long story, which we'll go into. But um, I, I've just been so grateful uh, because there's nothing more fulfilling, in my view, in life than being a mother, except maybe a grandmother. How many grandchildren do you have? I have six. I have three boys uh, in one family and three girls in the other. One daughter has never married. She's everybody's mother, as yes. you said. Colleen, we're going to move on to you now. You are a stepmom, an adoptive mom, and a mom to sweet baby Charlie, who was born into heaven. Give us a little bit more of your story and some things you've learned through all of your mothering roles. Well, that's right. And thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here with all of you. And I'm really thankful to be included among Uni and Emily, some of the great moms that I really respect and I'm so thankful to, to look up to and be uh, joined alongside in the conservative movement. Yes, I didn't get married until much later in life. That wasn't necessarily a choice, except I knew there wasn't anybody I wanted to marry until I happened to meet my husband. And he happened to come along with three beautiful children. Uh, so when I got married, I instantly became a mom. A very unique dynamic. My husband had two children from his former marriage but he had had a son from earlier in his life. We're all Christians. We refer to those as his before Jesus days, his bad boy Navy pilot days. Uh, but he, uh, he had full custody of his son for most of his life. Um, and we had a very unique dynamic that I had to navigate because so there were two other mothers involved in the picture. Now, tragically, our oldest son, Chandler, uh, lost his mom. She struggled with some severe mental illness issues and she ended up committing suicide. And after that happened, I had the privilege of adopting Chandler. Um, my other two children, and I, I, I really hesitate to refer to children as stepchildren. I'm a stepmom, but I don't like to refer to children as stepchildren. They're my husband's children. Um, but it's always so important, I think, for anybody who's involved in, when there are other mothers involved, uh, to, to determine how to best honor those mothers because the, that's so important to the children and that's really what the children need is to see the adults honoring the other mothers involved. And that's been a real privilege to be able to work through some of those issues. I did adopt Chandler and now I have two wonderful stepchildren. We're blessed with a really great relationship. And as you mentioned, I also had another, uh, I consider it a very unwelcome privilege. We had uh, I got started late. I had a pregnancy at age 40 that sadly ended up, I gave birth to a stillborn baby boy named Charlie. Um, and of course, you know, anybody who's been through loss knows there's not only the loss of a child, but the loss of your hopes and dreams of being a parent. Um, but I, I'm, I've been involved in the pro-life movement for as long as I can remember. I've always felt that abortion was a tragedy. I don't mean to be disparaging to anyone who's suffered through an abortion or um, but it's just something that I've always been personally opposed to. And going through that experience really made me realize just how, I always knew life was precious and that unborn children were precious, 
but having had the opportunity to hold a baby who was in the process of being developed in the womb, it gave me a very unique sense of just how precious and vulnerable those children really are. It also gave me a sense of how powerful the, um, it's a biological connection. I believe it's also a spiritual connection. After giving birth to my son, he was, you know, he never took a breath on this earth, but they had him in the room with me and I felt a strong compelling to do things like put a blanket on him, which might seem kind of strange, but that just gave me insight into how powerful that connection is, even with a child who, who isn't living. You know, we have a lot of political um, importance connected to children being born, but that made me realize just how powerful that connection is to a child who who does not take a breath outside the womb. So that just made me realize absolutely how precious all life is. Um, and in terms of the, my motherhood experience, I always tell people I have dogs because my motherhood experience started with an 11 year old boy. <laughs> so I didn't get the cute cuddly. I got, what are you doing? What's for dinner? Ew, that's gross. So I get my affection from dogs, but it's been a great opportunity. And again, I'm blessed with three wonderful children and, uh, and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything, even though it's not exactly how I plan things. Right, right. Well, you make a great point. I mean, motherhood, this mothering, nurturing notion is certainly innate. Um, and it's something to be celebrated. So I just am so inspired by your story. Thank you, Colleen. Thank you. Emily, you are in the thick of it right now. You've got two baby boys six months apart. Uh, mm -hmm. Since that's not biologically possible, <laughs> tell us about your journey to motherhood. Yeah, it also blows my mind that I'm talking about motherhood because I think when you're in the thick of it, you sort of don't realize, wow, this has happened to me. I waited for so long and this has happened. Um, I tell people all the time, don't do the math on it. I have an 11 month old and a five month old. <laughs> They're like, hmm. And the answer is that one is adopted and one is biological. And that was always our plan for how we wanted to build our family. We wanted, we were, wanted to welcome adoptive children and biological children and hopefully one day foster. But to us, it was all about saying yes along the way. And never in a million years did I imagine that both would come to be, that God would bring both an adoptive baby and a biological baby within six months into our lives, but double the blessing. It's been awesome. And um, I, I think that that saying yes is really has taught me also what it means to be a mother is <laughs> figuring out how to say yes to your children and um, nurturing them and helping them um, become who God wants them to be. And um, so it's been a wild ride um, just in the last year, um, but I look forward to talking more about all of those things. You have such a unique perspective on motherhood because not a lot of people get that chance to mother two young babies at the same time or two toddlers at the same time. Now we want to move into a deeper discussion about facing loss. Death is a part of life in a broken world, whether we face the loss of our expectations, the loss of someone close to us, or the loss of a child. We all encounter it in some kind of way. I've experienced it myself. Um, in 2017, my husband and I found out that I was pregnant with our first child. We, we were over the moon. But six weeks later, I went to the ER for bleeding and found out that I had miscarried. We, we were absolutely devastated. And I was so angry at God. I mean, I did everything right. This was a wanted baby. 
I have even dedicated my life's work to being a voice for babies in the womb and life in general. So why me? Why did I have to go through that experience? But God took that opportunity to show me how to trust again. He showed me the parable where the enemy planted weeds among the wheat crop. The landowner instructed his servants not to pull it up and to harvest it with the wheat. Then it would be separated and used for burning. In that passage, I realized that bad things are inevitable, but God uses them for our good and also the concept of happiness and grief existing together. I found great joy in choosing to be happy for new parents and taking part in their children's lives, and it was so healing for me. The pain never leaves, don't get me wrong, but meeting my Alexandria one day gives me something to look forward to after my own death. So that's a little insight into my own loss, and I know that many of you have experienced loss. Colleen's already touched on it. And so um, for the moms who are grieving or feel empty, or even the moms who have children but have loss in their life, where they feel both, they feel happiness and they feel grief, uh, we want to dive into that a little bit more. Yeah. Uni, you've experienced profound loss in your life. Um, you lost your mother too early. Your husband, Albert Lee, he passed away unexpectedly in a tragic accident in his 60s. Your son, Albert, um, you lost him to an awful disease when he was only 44 and has three small children. What are some of the ways that you've coped with the loss? And, and what do you say to other women that Tabitha was mentioning who have experienced similar, loss, similar losses? Well, Tabitha would, would agree with me. I know God's grace is sufficient. You know, I, I had a call uh, after we came home after uh, Albert Lee. Um, actually, he was coming down the, a ladder uh, from the roof after he had cleaned the gutters. And the ladder collapsed on him and he fell back on his head and never regained consciousness. And And after we came home from the um, hospital, I got this call from a friend who I hardly knew, and she said, Uni, something similar happened in my life to my husband. And she said, God's grace is sufficient. And I can attest to that. You don't, praise God, don't know, you know, the hard things you'll have to go through in life before you go through them. But, but he prepares you in many, many ways. And I certainly experienced that. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Um, and um, maybe the, the key to being much as possible victorious through it is to just keep praising him. He tells us that. He says, in everything, give thanks. And um, I found that I could do that. We could do that. Of course, it's easier when you know that your baby is with the Lord. Not, that it, not to minimize it, but and when you know that your husband, actually, when uh, he last drove his car, he was listening to a praise tape. And on that tape was, we're climbing Jacob's ladder. And another uh, song on that was, um, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that'll be. And it was Albert, actually, who found those songs on Albert Lee's praise tape and talked to us about it. So, you know, not too many years later, um, he was anticipating, uh, though not um, by choice, but still he 
he knew he was going to be with the Lord and his daddy in heaven, and he could anticipate. They were, they knew the Lord. So I know that I will be with them again one day. And, and as Tabitha so eloquently said, God does give us victory and sadness and, and a peace that actually passes all understanding. It's not something you can understand. But you can be sad and glad at the same time. You can, as you find yourself comforting others, you are comforted yourself. And those verses, you know, come alive. Um, and, and God will walk you through it. Just trust in him. Trust in Jesus. Eating at you um, helped me get through that time as well. And at the time, I didn't realize that you had been through so much yourself and so you have such wise words to speak, and, and they really see the heart. Well, it was just uh, incredible the way the Lord confirmed his presence with us, with, with me and, and my children um, throughout um, both of the losses, my husband and my son. Um, and, and I'm so grateful to know, I was so grateful to know even while Albert was suffering, that um, he knew that his little girls, even as young as they were, <clears throat> they had actually memorized the 23rd Psalm in kindergarten, age eight and age six. And they could say it, not just to recite it, but as if they understood it. And I think they really did. I think God gave them that understanding. And then the little three-year-old, she, she'll be okay. She's fine because their mom is, is surrounded by lots of love, um, which is what we, having been through this, you said, Tabitha, can give to others. That's beautiful. Uh, Colleen, let's move on to you. You mentioned that you had always wanted to get married, have children, and then God gifted you with motherhood in ways that you did not expect. What do you think others should know about women who are dealing with the loss of expectations that they had for their own lives? Well, for others dealing with women who've dealt with loss, I think it, everybody's different. Everybody deals with loss different. So it's important to see some people, do, I think most people assume that you just don't want to talk about it. Maybe it's because they're uncomfortable talking about it. And some people just don't and that's okay. But a lot of people really do. And I've been really thankful for people who would be willing to risk me getting upset to talk about my Charlie or to talk about Alexandria. And I love that. So I, I would just encourage people just to listen and see where other mothers are and to know that it means so much for mothers who have experienced loss to have their motherhood validated. Yeah, and I think that that point is very important that we deal with grief in different ways. And I have people that reach out to me all the time and say, I have a friend who lost the baby or, um, or should I do something for a friend who doesn't have children, but they want children for Mother's Day? And really, it's, you know, a lot of it has to do with relationship. There were ways that I dealt with things that it wasn't the typical. I, you know, I needed some time and space and I, I didn't want to talk about it at first. And so a lot of it is just like feeling the atmosphere and, and sometimes even asking, what do you need right now? And so I think that's that important right. yeah. that you make that point that there are different um, acknowledgments of motherhood. It's true. You know, 
one thing I haven't experienced loss in the ways that you have, but um, I recently lost my dad very unexpectedly. And it's the same thing, you know, people are afraid to talk about it and that's okay. I've been in that same situation, but I was struck. I've been struck over the last few months, you know, in revelation, uh, there's a lot in revelation that we don't understand, but there's one verse in chapter 12 that talks about how we conquer evil not just by the blood of the lamb, you know, the sacrifice that Jesus made, but by the, the word of our testimony. And so giving us opportunities to talk about that loss, um, you know, as believers, there is nothing that goes to waste. You know, the, uh, there's a prophet in the, in the Old Testament that talks about how um, God redeems the year of the locust. So thinking in terms of all that loss can be, so he can produce something good for that because from that, because that's just the the God that we serve. But um, giving us an opportunity to talk about that and our testimonies and what God has done for that conquers the evil that we face in this world. So I think your points are exactly right. So I appreciate you both sharing that, all three of you. And Emily, you run an organization that is founded on the idea that every life born and unborn is precious. One of the lies from pro-abortionists is that abortion doesn't affect you in the long run but we know it does mentally, physically, and emotionally. What do you say to women who have experienced an abortion? Yeah, that's absolutely one of the worst lies that they propagate that this is going to be no big deal. And you're just going to be able to move on and go on with your life. And for some women that might be true. We know that there are some of those women, um, but for the vast majority at some point in their life, they have faced the consequences of their actions and the deep pain that's with them. And sometimes they realize that they've really been dealing with it all along and they didn't know that it was under the surface. I think for us as pro-lifers, as Christians, we have to be ready for those moments. We have to lay the groundwork in our relationships with women that they feel safe to be able to tell us that that has happened to them. Um, we know that there's women in the church. We know that there's women all around us who have experienced abortion or chose abortion, was forced upon them, different circumstances. But we want them to know that the pro-life movement is and pro-lifers are not going to immediately condemn and judge them. And so I think we have to deal really carefully in our conversations and the words that we use. Um, and when that someone shares that with you, just to be ready with that, I'm so sorry that that happened. I'm here with you now, I love you. And then weave into that the opportunity to share the gospel because ultimately Jesus is the one that will be able to set them free from that burden um, to, for them to experience freedom from the shame and guilt from that decision. Um, and I think we also need to be ready with resources. Um, we know that um, there are post-abortion recovery groups that meet in churches, meet in different communities. Um, Rachel's Vineyard has wonderful retreats for women. Um, so we should really be ready for those conversations. One of the things I, I, I think a lot about is um, the language that we use and just being very careful to not say you're a post-abortive woman. Nobody wants to be defined by the worst decision they made. You know, I think we as a movement have to be so careful about how we talk about those women so that they're coming to us so that we can help them. Yeah, that's so true. True. I mean, how, how would they want to come to us if they feel like we're judging them constantly? Well, undoubtedly, as we've just talked about, the culture directly affects us, our families. And so since we can't ex escape it, we have to learn how to engage it while also um, protecting and educating our children to understand the truth. 
So we want to talk a little bit about the culture and how we, you know, reconcile what it's throwing at our families with what we know is true. So Uni, we have a question for you as the wisest among us. Um, we often see womanhood referred to as a balancing act. We've got to manage all the things, but in a healthy way. Um, so for me, that usually looks like a juggling act and I'm really good at, at dropping balls. I've never been good at juggling. Um, so what advice do you have for the contemporary mom who is trying to juggle all of her priorities, her husband, her children, work, volunteering, church, etc.? How, what, what advice do you have for us? Well, I wish I had the answer because that is a challenge. That is the challenge. How do you, um, it's a question of prioritizing. Um, of course we, we know that we, we should ask the Lord for guidance each day. Um, and that we should put God first and then family and then country. But the question is, how do you do that? And um, I really don't have the answer, except that sometime I think that um, we try to do everything all at once. And that's not necessary. And we absolutely mustn't um, sacrifice our, our time, those precious years, with those children, you can't relive that, and they can't relive that. And so when you're asked to do something, maybe one thing to do would be, I'm sure it's gonna be a good thing. Glenn, you do wonderful things, for example, making you an example. <laughs> maybe that some of the things can wait a few years until those babies are no longer babies, and they're no longer, they, and even, listen, even when they're in grammar school, I mean, I was blessed that, that um, I stayed home uh, and, and didn't actually have to take a job outside of my home, I should say it that way. But, but I, I, was, I was gone more than maybe I should have been because I didn't realize how important it was to them. You know what, what my youngest remembers? The times I wasn't here when she got, <laughs> so now how about all those times I was? But, yeah. but you know, but it's fun to think back on and she's fine but it, it does matter your time is so important so just just be sensitive to the lord's guidance and sensitive to your children's needs and your husband's needs and and don't think you have to do everything especially not everything all at once that's good that's yeah. good and great advice we, we've talked a lot about um you know i'm one of those moms who works out of economic necessity um to enable my husband to do ministry and so I'm constantly looking for ways to like really make the most of the time I have with my children. So when you look back, what are the, some of the most memorable or enriching activities that you did with your children? I know Phyllis talked a lot about how she found such great value in teaching her children to read. She taught all six of them to read. So what yeah. about you? What are some of your fondest times with your kids? Well, I didn't teach them to read, but, but because I didn't even know that I, um, that just wasn't an option then. I did uh, do some things that, that others didn't do. I did nurse my babies and uh, nobody else did at that time. God just showed me that, that you know, that was a natural thing to do. And, and so I loved it. And I think, I think if you can do that, that's very important because that bonding from ages six months to three years is um, goes with them for, for life, if that's a, a possibility for you. Can, they can bond in other ways to, to the mom and to a mother figure. But um, we, we had our, our house, which just opened to everybody all the time. The whole neighborhood was here, and it was absolutely, I loved it. 
that's the way our house was when I was growing up. And that's the way I wanted it to be here. And it actually was. And, you know, we, we, uh, we did things like we had a tree house in the backyard that uh, the whole neighborhood designed. And Albert Lee, who couldn't hammer a nail or saw a board when we married, I had to teach him both because my daddy did things like that. But, but he, he built this wonderful tree house for him with a, a, a side for the girls and a side for the boys and, and they could lock each other out. And oh, it was incredible. <laughs> so, you know, you, 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 they, can, they have that to, to remember. And then, and then, of course, when we went on trips, we did a, a, a Freedom Trail trip, a bicentennial trip. And that was just great. And it was with my daddy and his wife of six months, and you talk about somebody brave, <laughs> she got in a station wagon with five of the five in our family, including three young kids and her new husband. And, and uh, you know, it was for two and a half weeks, but it was absolutely wonderful. So you, you can plan things like that, special things like that, I'm sure to do with your family. It doesn't have to be, you know, anything expensive, just special. And then, and then I think it's important to, for them to, to have the um, advantage of, of, um, of somewhat of a routine, like do sit down together for dinner. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it does help. And, and uh, it does help you to engage with one another and especially with the children. Yeah, it's been fun to see my my little guy. He's almost two. Learn that we eat dinner at the table. So we've yeah. moved his. Yeah. He had a high chair. Now moved his booster to the table, and he sits with us during dinner time. Not usually during lunch or breakfast. Um, but it's been fun to see him. He waits for us, and it's just cute. <laughs> as you guys know, as parents, we hold the primary responsibility for the education of our children, and I think a lot of um, quarantine moms are bearing a huge burden with education right now, but, but also in all aspects of life, not just academically. We are watching society shift that responsibility to the government, to schools, the church, peers, others. For parents who are seeing their children being influenced by so many outside sources, Colleen, I want to ask you, how do they begin to retake their child's education on all aspects of life? I mean, you're mothering a middle schooler, a high schooler, and you recently launched one of your children into the real world. Um, what are some practical ways that you and your husband have opened up to the lines of communication about some of those really hard topics to talk about? Well, I think my answer is the same as it was to the other question about how to deal with mothers dealing with loss. It's really a matter of relationship and finding out where the kids are, what really resonates with them. Um, For one of our children, they like certain TV shows or certain types of music or different kinds of things. So showing an interest in what what they're interested in enables you to have those opportunities to address, you know, TV shows, just taking the time to watch with them and to say, you know, to use teachable moments as they come up. And then also, I think we're all involved in in activism, political activism in one way or another, and inviting the, the children to participate with us, not to assume that this is something that's above their heads, but to tell them, recently we've been, I, I didn't have them watching Mrs. America, they're not gonna watch that, um, but we've been talking a lot about 
um, some some of Phyllis Schlafly's debates early on, and so I've been playing them and asking my stepdaughter, okay, what do you think, and who, who's making more sense to you here, and thankfully she's choosing the right side, so that's encouraging, but I think just really finding out where they are and what resonates with them and treating them not as adults, but as the individuals that they are um, and using those opportunities rather than lecturing or telling them what we think. And I think it's important particularly for step parents because even though I believe step parents are every bit as important as biological parents, you don't have some of the natural connections that come along with being a biological parent and you have to be aware of that. So sometimes you do have to be a little more intentional about making those connections with the children. Right. I, I know my mom would always ask me if, if I would bring up a, a word or a concept that I heard in school, she'd say, well, what do you think that means? <laughs> and it would really like, uh, it, it, she could see where I was in the whole thing. And um, she, that way she didn't have to give too much information, but she could correct some things at the same time. <laughs> Tabitha, can I just tell on you, I love the testimony that you shared about having to behave yourself in college because you knew the Holy Spirit would tell your mom if you did yes. I love that. And I think being honest too about praying and, re and letting the children know we have a relationship with the Lord, so he might tip us oh, off. Yeah. My mom is a prayer warrior through and through, and I don't know if she had us convinced or if God had us convinced that they were so tight that he would tell me every single time. Either way, it works. That I, yeah. I have the same type mom, and I found um, she always writes out scripture. She still does, and has like little spaces where she would insert her name. And I found the scripture she was praying over us that was about exposing what's done in darkness and bringing it to light. And I thought, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> All righty, Emily. Though you desired marriage and motherhood, you were single for many years. What are some of the things that you did well during that period of your life? And how would you encourage women who are walking on that same path right now? Yeah, that's so, it's so hard because there's so many unknowns and you mm -hmm. just, you can get caught in the trap of wondering, is this ever going to happen for me? Is this, I see other people, this is happening for them. Why not me? When, you know, all these things. And so I really, I've walked that road for a long time and the time. You know, looking back now, I can see so clearly how that provided such an opportunity for ministry outside of my home. You know, I, I couldn't imagine doing some of the things that I was doing right now with kids at home. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Glenn and I, we worked with the church youth group. And I mean, we would go to like basketball games at high schools for, for kids that we you know, knew from church and we would pour into their lives. And, you know, in a lot of ways be a mother to them and talk with them about things that they were facing. You know, I got to be involved in missions and travel. I went to Turkey nine times in five years um, to be able to share the gospel in another nation. And um, so I think that it's all about just like just learning how to be content and know that God has called you to do something in your life right now. And that doesn't mean that he hasn't called you to do something different later. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes to rest in that um, but when you are able to you can really see the fruit in your life uh, you know the Lord blesses that and just gives you incredible opportunities to minister in ways that you know may not have been what you originally thought um, it's hard though I mean it's hard and it's also really good 
Yeah, that's great advice. You know, being content in every season of your life is something that you really have to work on every single day. And when it comes to motherhood, you know, as a millennial mom, we have to balance our protecting ourselves from all the mom guilt that we get and we see on social media. How have you done that? I don't know if I've found it very well. Um, my husband will tell you that I'm always looking at Instagram when I'm feeding the babies and I'm like, <laughs> oh no, I need to plan this thing. Um, but you know what? I think I have realized that no matter what I do, eventually my boys, because I have two boys, they're going to want to brush their teeth and they're going to want to eat solid food. And, you know, hopefully they're going to want to sleep. You know, so like I try to like not to get caught up in the moment of thinking like, oh, if this one thing doesn't go right or if I don't perfect, perfectly implement this developmental skill, you know, they're not going to be functioning adults. Well, you know, probably they will be. So I think it's giving ourselves a lot of grace and just doing the best you can and investing in the um, moment and rather, rather than being caught up in what everybody else is doing. Definitely. Oh, that's so good. It's um, such a challenge, but so good. And, you know, I constantly am returning to the, the principle, the truth, the idea that, that these are God's children anyway. Mm -hmm. He's just entrusted them to me for a short time. And so I've got to trust that he's leading and guiding me. And that's what makes time in scripture and time in prayer and time in community so much more important um, in this um, time in our lives. But we know momming isn't easy in any era, in any era, any time, but, um, momming in a world, um, right now with so much noise and so many outlets for people to voice their thoughts and opinions can be so overwhelming. So we want to end on a note of encouragement, um, for you all. Uni, um, will you provide a piece of wise advice, um, to all the moms who are, um, momming right now and, and trying to make the best of things? Yeah, that that's no pressure there at all. <laughs> no, I um, God will honor um, your commitment to Him uh, on behalf of those children. He gave those children to you, and He'll show you. He'll show you the best way to lead them and guide them. Um, give them your time, um, love them. That's easy. Um, no matter what they do, you'll love them. Laugh with them. Uh, learn together, read to them, pray together for sure. Uh, the whole family, families, we used to hear that pray together, stay together, and that's still true. Don't neglect discipline because they need that. Mm -hmm. And that's how they learn ultimately self-discipline. Um, they need to be held accountable. If they're not held accountable by their parents when they're growing up, they won't understand one day their accountability to God. So, you know, all of those dynamics are so very, very important. And, and one thing I just, it just occurred to me, I don't think Albert Lee and I argued in front of the children, but if we ever did, I, I, I would need to apologize to him because that, you know, you can tease one another and you can disagree, but, but children know, and it's upsetting to them if their parents are in their mind fighting. Protect them from that if you can. Um, Uni, I'm curious. All of us, almost all of us, have little toddlers right now. And when you were in that season of toddlerhood, how did you find time to balance um, working on your faith and studying your Bible? Well, 
I'm sure I didn't do it as well as I should have. Um, I tried to make myself get up early, <laughs> earlier, and and you know, and spend that time um, in in scripture, and um, and it's something that that's a discipline mm-hmm. that we need. We all need throughout our lives. You don't ever stop needing that. Um, but um, you know, God God will work you through that too. This is a little. Um, plaque that I don't know if I can show it to you. Can you see yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ephesians. And it really, I think, I, I, I guess it was on my, been on my kitchen wall for 45 years. I don't know. I can't figure out just exactly how long, but to me, it lays out, you know, the God's plan for the family with, um, husbands, um, um, loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Well, that's selfless love. And then wives submitting themselves to their husbands as unto the Lord. And then those children, they are to be obedient to their parents because God commands it. Of course, there's also 10 commandments around. But, But, you know, if you can just let, let God's love throw, flow through this structure in, in, in your family life. He honors that. He certainly does. Colleen, what would you say to any woman listening who desires biological children, but who is single or unable to conceive? It's, it's so important to have hope and just to keep, like Uni said, keep honoring the Lord and he will honor your faithfulness. And I thought Emily made such a good point about not wanting to look back and have any regrets. So often we as women, and I think everybody think I'll be happy when I, you know, for me in my 20s, when I lose weight, I'll be happy when I get married, I'll be happy when I have children. Then even if we reach those goals, there's still something else. There's always going to be something missing, always something else that we're striving for. But I'd encourage everybody, just make the most of where you are now. Give thanks for where you are now. Enjoy that you aren't chasing after a toddler and that you have time to focus on your Bible now. And that will serve you well when God does bring those dreams to pass. And if he doesn't, just always remember, he created you, he wrote your story, and he, he has the best ending in mind. And maybe just be open to the idea that it might not be might not play out the way you want it, but it might be a whole lot better. And I can say so often, um, so many things that didn't turn out the way I wanted to, God always had something else in mind. Mm-hmm. So always hold on to that hope. He does exceedingly, abundantly more than anything we could ever ask for or imagine. Mm-hmm. So Emily, you've seen that firsthand over the last year. Um, do you have any encouragement for those who might be considering foster care or adoption right now? <laughs> Well, I would say if God has laid those on your hearts, do it. That's kind of how we started our adoption process. We knew we wanted to try for biological children and adopt. And it was just really clear to me through prayer that God was saying, just start. I mean, what are you waiting for? So, you know, that's what we did. (laughs) You may want to work on your timing if you, unless you want to end up with two kids in one year, but I'm just kidding. Um, I would also say that if you're not in a place where you really think this is not the right time and but I, I want this to start doing research because it's complicated. Fostering and adoption is very complicated and 
you want to know not just the process, but also what it means to bring a child into your home in those circumstances. Um, I mean, what I've learned through adoption is that this is um, just, we have, we have a very open adoption with our uh, child birth parents. And it's, it, it brings a level of emotional complexity that you have to be ready for. And you want to think through how do you want to have, do you want to have a relationship with these folks? How do you want that to look? How do you want to explain this as your child is growing in your home? How do you want to introduce these concepts to them? And so there's tons of great resources out there. The adoption community and foster community is just doing a great job, I think, right now of educating folks and providing new resources. Um, and so I would just encourage you that if this is something that is part of what you think God is leading to you to, to do your research. Well, thank you all for being with us today. And um, we hope for our listeners that this episode was perspective shaping and life-giving. Um, we're each just seeking to embrace the mothering roles and situations in, in which we find ourselves. And we should always be encouraging others to do the same. So if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, rate us, and comment. We'd love to engage in further discussion um, on our platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So until next time, from your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Evil Forum.